Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Morbid Message Monday. My name is Jake. And my name is Matt. And today, we're going to get disgusting. I mean, disgusting. But before we do that, let's say hi to everybody. Hello, Hello. everyone. Great to see you all on this lovely evening. I hope you're you're all you all had great Mondays and you're ready to get super morbid and disgusting. Text madness, Z Remmers, sexy dad jokes, that weird doctor, STI thirty three. Everybody, I think that's everybody so far. Everybody, here. Yes. Hello, all of you. It's so great to see you. It's good to see. You. And why is it, it? It's so weird because I still haven't adjusted the whole fact that we stream Thursday and then we're just like done for like four days almost. I know it's weird, right? And then, like every time we start on Monday, I'm like, it feels good. It feels fresh. It feels like we haven't Dude. been here in like three months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see. So we're here. My sweet summer child. Uh, it would be funny if Matt said, hi, I'm Jake and I'm Jake. All right, go, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. What's going on, everybody? My name is Matt. And my name is Jake. And welcome to another episode of Morbid Message Monday. Today, we're getting ooky. We're getting spooky. We're getting in to part four of the pig farm killer, AKA Willie Picton. This will be our second to last part in this series. It's just uh, so much to it. There's just so much going on. It's fucking disgusting. Um, literally. Uh, and because there's just so much written mm-hmm. by again, our source on the farm by Stevie Cameron, which is way more detailed than anything that I'm going to be telling you today. It's funny because the way you said that sounded like we have some person like at the farm. Yeah, exactly. Got Live the at the farm. Live at the farm on the Doppler radar. Um, I don't. I don't even know why I'm saying that. But Not the Doppler the radar. The Doppler radar. I don't know. You know, it's whatever. Oh man, it is what it is. you're gonna get some bacon bits. Oh, you're gonna get some bacon bits tonight. Some real bacon bits. Oh, so you're gonna get some bacon shits. Long pig. Um, yeah, long pig. I mean, it's like as gross as it can be. Tonight, I'm going to just right off the bat. Viewer discretion is advised. This is going to get disgusting. But it's also going to be a long episode. So, Matt, small talk. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right, man. Good. Yeah. I was, I was, I was catching up. I was just catching up on the book and the notes and everything. And I yeah. feel pretty good. Hell yeah. I feel pretty good about the hell that we're about to talk about. It's going to get gnarly. Don't forget, uh, just... A little bit of uh, housekeeping from the very top. If you decide to host, uh, that does help us in this algorithm to get more people to see us. Uh, If you know anybody who you would like to have rate us, tell them. We're going to be in here. We're going to appreciate them. We're going to show them lots of love. And that's all the housekeeping for today. Yes. Because I'm pretty sure all of you follow us on all the shit. So so. it is what it is. (laughs) Basically, yeah. But without any further ado, let's jump in. Yeah. Pig Farm Killer, part four. So, where we last left off. Oh my Sorry. God, we have so much to go over this week. Oh my Lord. Hold on a second. You went ham. You went ham with the notes, man. I did. I did go a little ham. You left off at words. Words. Disgusting. Uh, yes, horrible, I nasty did. words. Awful words. So, the last we heard was that Sherry Irving had gone missing. Never came back to Renata Bond after that faithful night. Now... The next woman to go missing was Sarah Jean Devries. She left the house of her husband and then pimp, drug dealer, slumlord, Bernie Dubois, April 14th, 1998. She was never seen again. Mm-hmm. Three months later, another world, another working girl named Sheila Egan goes missing. She was last seen July 25th, 1998. This led the official toll to be 49 officially reported missing working girls. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 49 fucking ridiculous. And and this still wasn't considered a problem at this point. Yeah. And yet the police, and I mean like still the police didn't believe there was even a possibility Mm -hmm. of a serial killer at large. And Drennan, the smoke, the smokesperson. Oh yeah. Dude, the smokesperson. Fucking took it up, dude. Uh, The spokesperson for the VPD made an official statement in the statement. 
They said that they were adding another person in the missing missing persons unit, which at the time was one person. The VPD's missing persons unit was one. Now there's two. And like, that's a pretty big department for only one person to handle that. Oh yeah. How are you going to do that? Really? You're going to have one, one person. Are you serious? So they added another person, which is great. She made sure to let the press know that the 16 cases, yes, you heard me right, 16 cases, okay, not 49, 16, mm-hmm. um, were of the utmost importance to this unit. And um, that unit, again, was run up until this very moment by one person, okay? Right. Just, just saying it again. Now, the real issue that I have personally is in her statement, she said, and I quote, there's no indication that a serial killer is preying on the women. They went on to blame the increasing violence in the east downtown, east side downtown over drug disputes. Which, to be fair, was already getting bad, but like not 49 people disappearing bad. Not Yeah, not women don't disappear during these, like they will end up dead. Right, right. They'll find the bodies. Like right. they've got nothing as a result right now. Okay. So it's, it's like disgusting. It's the, this whole thing. Now, Sarah Jean Devries had a former lover client. He was in love with her at least. Yeah. His name was Wayne Ling who, and he went to many lengths to search for his long lost love, not long lost, but his lost love. She she was gone right then. Okay. Uh, once he heard of her disappearance, mm. he had several phone calls, uh, from various people talking about Sarah, but one call in particular shook him to his core. Now, this is a very important person, so pay attention. Bill Hiscox, he was a former worker of Willie Pickton's, who had worked the farm from 1997 to 1998. So that was Willie's, like, worst of the worst time, right? We, uh, we talked to him a little bit earlier in this series. He recalled a story from Lisa Yelds of a strange amount of women's clothing, wallets, personal belongings, and personal belongings that just showed up in Willie's trailer. Yes. Heard me right. She was like, yeah, there's a bunch of women's clothing, wallets, IDs, like, it's just showing up in his trailer. It's really weird, right? It's just Um, just not not out of the normal at all. Yeah, he was just just a heavy thrifter. Yeah, that's what it was. found them all at a thrift store. He's spending some time at Canadian Goodwill. Yeah, Canadian Goodwill. Oh, <laughs> uh, what would that even be called? Goodwillie. Good anyway, um, <laughs> now he began to believe that Willie was responsible for all the missing girls. He relayed that Willie had been charged with the attempted murder of Sandra Gale Ringwald earlier already. Was a frequent of the downtown east side, and that Willie owned a twenty-five acre farm filled with heavy-duty machinery mm-hmm. and lots of places to hide things. Lang, however, uh, was not the first person Hiscox had reached out to. He in- also informed Al Howlett of the VPD about what he'd seen on the farm. He was told they'd check him out. Years later in an interview, Hiscox relayed that he told a female constable at the VPD several times, but she said they couldn't really do anything with the information provided. They can't just go in based on assumptions, don't you know? I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say right off the bat, if I'm the VPD and somebody says, I think that I know where all these missing persons went. Right. I would at the very least talk to Willie Pickton. And the way that they, they went about talking, well, you know, he's got this big ass farm with this heavy ass equipment and there's a lot of places to hide things. Maybe we should think about him, but it's like, it was never a concern. It was never even a thought. And it's like, you guys are literally discussing this. Literally. I mean, you you have no idea where any of these missing women are. You don't care where any of these missing women are. And you couldn't be more obvious about this. It's like searching for who's sabotaging you and it's you. Exactly. Lamp Frost. Hello. Good to see oh, you. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to <laughs> just ignore people. <laughs> now, where was I? Um, the constable wanted to talk to Lisa Yeltz, the woman who had relayed the ID person clothing info to Hiscox, but she declined to speak with the police out of one heavy distrust for the police and two fear, 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 so much fear. Also, Domi Lawrence. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see the fear. I could see the fear excuse. And the fear excuse. Sh- sure. But I mean, she also just fucking hated the police, which sure. 
I don't blame her. No, but they were useless. They were awful. I mean, they really were. They didn't do shit. Now, Kim Rosmo, the super cop, he returned to Vancouver September 20th, 1998. Day after my birthday. Uh, After doing a literal tour of the criminal profiling world, helping all around the world in several high-profile criminal cases. Mm -hmm. And that's because he was a super cop. The VPD set up a task force to search for the missing women called Project Amelia. But this swayed no one to stop. Just a couple weeks later, more women started to go missing. Within three months, in fact, they had added six new names to the list. Julia Louise Young, Angela Jardine, Tanya Emery, Michelle Gurney, Marcella Creason, and Ruby Ann Hardy. Six fucking people. I mean, come on. That's just crazy to think about. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, right. Like you're you're actively watching body counts like rise and go up, and you're you're talking about what could be a possible place for these people to disappear, and yet you're just doing nothing. Now back at the farm, things were heating up between a drug addict, uh, worker of Dave Picton, and Dave himself. Scott Chubb. This is a name you need to remember. Just just remember Chubb. <laughs> uh, now Scott had said. Get Willie off the street to stop the murdering to Dave in roughly January of 1999. Chubb had suspected Willie was the one responsible for the women who'd gone missing. He knew of the clothes, personal items, the attempted murder, literally just sent it all home for him. Dave Picton had to have known at this point. Chubb said, you can't live on this property for as long as he has and not know. Mm -hmm. Not with all the women coming in and, well, not leaving. And no shit. Dave did nothing with this. He knew that Chubb needed him and, in fact, was afraid of him. Plus, at the point, at this point, Dave was worried about the possible closure of his beloved piggy palace because of the gigantic New Year's Eve blowout they just had. Can't close the slaughterhouse that's somehow a dance floor. Why would no. you do that? Yeah, exactly. It's gross. Disgusting. But, like, and, well, what kills me is, and you guys are going to find out about this pretty quick here, but, like, there's no way Dave didn't know. Oh, Dave knew. There's no he way. Knew. Oh, and it gets so much worse. Yeah, oh, no God. Way. And yeah. I mean, this was New Year's Eve 1998. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freaking gnarly. Mm-hmm. Now, January 16th, 1999, Jacqueline Michelle McDonald goes missing. Early 1999, Gina Houston had had enough of her beatings and decided to move into a place known as Sheena's Place in Surrey, which is right outside of Port Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. Sheena's place was a temporary living situation for women down on their luck in the Vancouver area. Temporary being the key word here. It's where she met Lynn Ellingson, another important character in this story. Single mother addicted to cocaine and alcohol. As luck would have it, Gina invited her out to Willie's place, as she herself was going. Now, Lynn was already quickly coming up on her 30-day mark at Sheena's and needed somewhere to live. This is where Willie Picton comes in. Willie, being just the nicest guy, offered her a place to live and to keep her stuff. She moved into his spare room in the trailer almost immediately. It felt like her only option. And it really must have, right? Like, if you really think about it, like... If you're if you're only... Like, if you're so down on your luck that a pig shit covered, disgusting trailer is your only option... Yeah. Like, ugh. And you're just... <laughs> so addicted to crack cocaine. Right. So you already realized like, like that's the best you're going to get. And that's really fucking sad. Yeah. And again, it felt like her only option. Yeah. And all she, all she had to do. Oh, go ahead. What? No, it's just, it's terrible. <laughs> all she had to do was work for Picton as a result. And there was plenty of work on the farm. Now, Lynn had many visitors ranging from her abusive ex-boyfriends to fellow drug addicts. Mm-hmm. One of those drug addicts was Andy Bellwood. Chubb would remember these names. Uh, A friend of Gina Houston, who would often bunk with Lynn in Willie's trailer. Andy became a more permanent face at the farm. He and Lynn would often fight for available space there, and Andy is super important in this story. We'll get back to him in a moment. Mm -hmm. Whilst the squabble was happening, more women continued to go missing. On February 17th, Brenda Ann Wolfe, a native woman of the area, went missing, marking the second woman to go missing in the year of 1999. Okay. Now, 
this is where you need to finish your bear claw, get your meat out of here. You know what I mean? We need you to be not eating something from this point forward. It's going to make you think twice about a couple items Mm. of food. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, (laughs) again, we said Bellwood's important here, and this Mm. is why. Willie had become fond of Bellwood. In fact, too fond. One night in March, the 11th specifically, Willie struck up a conversation with Bellwood. A normal conversation that quickly turned into the story from your fucking nightmares. Yeah. Willie asked Bellwood about going to get a hooker, you know, because that's just what you do with your new acquaintances you're fond of, right? Hey, buddy, you know, you want to go get a hooker? Let's go find us a hooker. (laughs) This is somebody he doesn't know that well. Right. And that's just the way, you know, he gets real like comfortable with you. And that's his way of asking you like, hey, you want to go grab a beer? His way is you want to go get a hooker? Now, (laughs) uh, Bellwood was not really into the idea, telling him he wasn't really into the idea of, quote, getting a hooker. This is when Willie really decided to spill the beans to Andy about what he did with hookers. And after a few little pokes and prods about Andy being a chicken. Oh, you're a chicken. You don't want to go get a hooker. You're a chicken. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on now. Come on. Now, (laughs) sorry, I don't have a very good Canadian accent. Willie reached under his mattress, pulled out a pair of handcuffs. I'm going to do this in my most serious voice that I can. Let me get some water. He reached under his mattress, pulled out a pair of handcuffs. He then pulled out a belt and a wire that had a handle at the end of it. Looked like piano wire. This is when he really started to spill. He said he'd pick them up from the downtown east side, drawing them in with money and drugs. He had a really hard time getting most of them to come to the farm because they were nervous about leaving their area. However, once he got them back to the farm, he'd bring them to his room and have sex with them doggy style. Again, his words. Okay, I'm not trying to be gross here. As if that wasn't already fucking disgusting enough, just the thought of pig shit Willie sweating, clamoring like a disgusting shit-covered pig, he'd then grab their hands and bring them up behind their back, one at a time, slowly. At this point, he'd handcuff them and strangle them. <laughs> okay, this is really gross. Uh, at this point, he decided to do a little show and tell for Bellwood, getting on his bed and showing him how he'd do it as if a woman was there. She would stroke her hair, uh, motioning about how he'd get her hands behind her back. You know, he would be like, okay, look, this is what you're going to do, all right? All right, you're going to pull them back right there. Okay, just like that. Then you whoop, whoop, slap the handcuffs on. Oh God. And he was reenacting the whole thing, obviously. And again, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep this lighthearted, but this is really fucking disgusting. It's kind of hard to be lighthearted about this part. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All while saying things like, don't worry, things will be all right. That's a good girl. And how things would be over soon. Willie then went on to talk about how much people bleed, continuing on by saying he'd take his victims out to the barn, hang them up and butcher them the way he'd butchered his pigs. Yep. Yep. He then went on to say how pigs would eat pretty much every bit of human remains. Remains. Yes. He fed his victims to his pigs. But what the pigs didn't eat, he'd throw into a barrel with the remaining pig waste and take it to the rendering plant. Mm -hmm. After all this, he told Bellwood that he'd strangled him with either the belt or the wire he had just shown him. Those were the fucking murder weapons that yeah. he pulled out and showed him. And this dude's just show and telling to his best buddy. His and after buddy. all of this, after he literally goes into disgusting detail about what he did with these women that he'd go pick up, he again tried to persuade Bellwood to go with him to pick up a hooker. Yeah. After Bellwood said no, Willie offered to give him a hundred bucks to get one. Bellwood declined once again. Willie poked and prodded, saying he was a chicken, scared to get a hooker. And Bellwood only responded with, no, I'm not scared. I'm just not into what you're talking about here. That's a good way. That's a nice way of putting it, I guess, instead of just calling him fucking insane. Oh, yeah. My God. 
Like this dude just actively admitted to you that he murders women and cuts them up into pieces and feeds, and them, to feeds them to the pigs. And if you remember the rendering farm or the rendering plant, like that goes into food. So like, like people food. So mm-hmm. the rest of them went into people stuffs. Yeah. They went into makeup and gummy bears and oh. now it wasn't too long after this that we really realized he'd made a serious mistake. Mm-hmm. He talked to Lynn about the fact that he was pretty sure Bellwood was stealing tools from the brothers. Long story short, Willie had Bellwood beat within an inch of his life, literally. He had two big guys interrogate and beat the shit out of him, leaving him bloodied all while Bellwood was screaming, I never took your stuff. Bellwood was taken back to Gina Houston, who took him in saying, I told you you shouldn't be over there. Bad things happen there. Mm-hmm. So Gina Houston... Kind of complicit. I was going to say this right now. She's brought several women over there. Bellwood boarded a ferry the next morning and he never returned to the Picton farm. So just take that in for a moment. We've now learned that Willie Picton, what he would do with these victims. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's worse. Now, the police had reached out to Lisa Yelds, who was uncooperative. Again, she hates the police. Right. But she did share with the author that she remembered her ex who worked with Willie used to help distribute 300 pounds of ground meat to local shops uh, in several towns in the Fraser Valley. Okay. Listen, I'm going to say this again. She remembered that her ex used to work with Willie and distribute 300 pounds of ground meat to local shops in several towns in the Fraser Valley. Yeah. Now, when she said this, she gagged because she firmly believed that remains of the women who he murdered were in that ground meat. Okay. So the women he would butcher, then he would bleed out. He would take out their intestines. He would mix in with the ground meat that he was distributing all over the Fraser Valley. And hamburger helper ain't helping anybody. This is also how Lisa was convinced she had gotten hepatitis C. Oh. oh. Mm, mm. Now, once Bellwood left the farm, Ellingson had a permanent place in Willie's trailer. She would take on odd jobs, and as many odd jobs as she could for him, and even make him dinner from time to time. Lynn became friends with a couple truckers who frequented the farm. She heard of the rumors and stories, none of which were good, especially those involving Willie and his freezers. One day, she got the courage to talk to Dave about it. Again, Dave Picton, listen. She said uh, to Dave she'd been hearing a lot of rumors about the farm. He asked her what kind of rumors. She told him about several folks seeing arms and legs within the freezers. Human arms and legs. Just free hanging. And this is from just workers Mm -hmm. of the farm. Okay. Now, he said they ought to talk inside. Uh, So they went into the trailer and he went on to assault her, slamming her against the wall, smacking her, punching her, hitting her, bloodying her up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then a a little while later, Willie told her Dave wanted her out. But Willie didn't. So he recommended she just stay inside when Dave was around. What happened, what happened next is oftentimes not believed by those she's told, mainly because the dates get mixed up by Lynn herself, who blames her then heavy addiction. It's just totally understandable. Yeah. Lynn's ex, Ross Menard, asked if Willie would loan him some money. She asked Willie, and he said, of course he would. They go to Ross's place of work, the Dell, where he worked as a bouncer. Willie gave Lynn 20 bucks for a few drinks and left to go speak with Ross. Once they left, Willie suggested they go out for dinner. Lynn, who was surprised, said, okay. He was heading the wrong way, and Lynn informed him he was going the opposite way of home. He had passed over a bridge and said, we're just going to take a short little drive first. At this point, they were driving along 12th Street in New Westminster, one of the busiest prostitute strolls. Willie got pulled over for speeding by a constable, who notated that all of this happened on March 20th, 1999. They were told to go home. But they didn't. Of course. He told her first they needed to make a little stop. Oh, yeah. Need to make a little stop. Mm. At this point, he headed straight for the downtown east side. 
He bought Lynn some crack to get her to stop complaining of withdrawals. Oh, poor you. You're on fucking crack cocaine. Uh, And he said, you don't mind if I pick up a girl for the night, do you? Lynn said no. Willie rolled down her window and yelled to a working girl who saw Lynn's pipe. After asking if she'd like to go back with them, she said yes, but only after Lynn confirmed that she too would be there. (sighs) Now, on the car drive over, they smoke a little crack together, get to know each other, you know, over a nice bowl of crack. Um, (laughs) Because that's how you get to know people. (laughs) You know, you make the strongest bonds over a bowl of crack. God. That's just... (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard that in my life. (laughs) Oh, God. Now, when they get back to Willie's place, and after they smoked some crack, of course, Willie looks at her and says, let's get this show on the road. Who's first? Kind of motioning that both of them were going to be having sex with him. The woman obliged, and they went to Willie's room. Lynn went back to her room to, you know, smoke some more crack. Suddenly, she heard a scream outside. She got out of bed and went to Willie's room, but saw no one was there. She noticed there was a light in the barn where Willie did his butchering. She carefully approached the barn. She noticed an awful smell as she approached. She got closer, noticed legs and feet dangling. She cried for Willie, who then approached from behind, grabbing her arm and forcing her inside. She got inside to seek a table with knives hair, and she wasn't quite sure what else. She remembered at eye level, she could see legs, toes polished red. She was frozen in shock. So she couldn't even look around. She was literally like, oh, no, that'd be, that would be pretty jarring to see, I, I feel. <sighs> Once she snapped out of it, she realized what she was seeing. It was, the woman, it was the woman she'd just smoked with, suspended by the chain that Willie would butcher his pigs on. He told her, it's okay. She's just like a pig anyways. It's all right. It's going to be all right. He went on to start cutting the woman open, butchering her the way that he butchered the pigs. He sliced her open and began emptying her insides into a bucket, the same he would use for the pig entrails. He looked at her and he said, you say a word to anybody. Do anything. You'll be right beside her. Absolutely horrified. She promised not to say a word. God forbid Willie not get caught. Then Lynn would be in the yard too. Yeah. So. I can't imagine. Like, it's like for, a scene for, from a horror movie. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like, first of all, you just got mind fucked by seeing pieces of people everywhere. But then this dude just starts actively cutting somebody up in front of you. Literally, like forcing you to watch too. I yeah, mean, he forced her in. Yeah, so she's watching this person that she was just having relations with get cut and you know Slaughtered distributed. In front of her. Yeah, like fuck, man, horrific shit. I mean, literally, just about as despicably disgusting as it can be. And he's just totally going with it. He's fine. Yeah, he is. That's the thing. Yeah, that's what's disgusting about this is like, he, he's totally fine. Yeah, no, he's just whatever. No big deal. And he literally couldn't care less. Yeah. I mean, it's like. I think I would too. I mean, like reading it's like jarring because you're reading about this and you're realizing like this shit actually happened. Yeah, this is real. I mean, this is and like, like. This whole story is very much like it, it plays out like a movie would, like a horror serial killer horror movie would. Like it just, it very much plays out like it. And, I, I mean, uh, it's, it is. Yeah, it's very it's, similar. It's crazy yeah. to think that this shit happened. The the slasher butcher, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And I think that a lot of us have grown kind of numb to the idea of stuff like this because of pop culture and, and like, mm-hmm. general violence and stuff like that. And, like, for me personally, I've heard stories that are worse than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, yeah. those that I would not even cover because they just involve, like, the absolute... If you really want to learn of somebody worse than this, look up Albert Fish. I refuse yeah. to cover him because he was despicable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst fucking kind of person. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, Willie Picton is also the worst kind of person. He's pretty fucking you know, bad. But, but for different reasons, Albert Fish, I would say 
yeah. is worse. Now, and you know, it's not even worse or better. It's just different. It's the state, uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. the nature of his crimes that made him so horrifically awful to me mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, it's so out of the realm of reality for us. I mean, that's very, yeah, that's very mm-hmm. true. I mean, can you imagine, like, can you imagine no. being Lynn Ellingson in this scenario? I mean, you're forced oh, to watch no. a woman get murdered. I mean, not even murdered. She was already dead. Well, and it sucks because, like, the, your first logical reaction would be, okay, cool, straight to the cops. But the cops didn't fucking care. No, they didn't. And and hers wasn't because she was so mortally terrified of right. everyone in this situation. I mean, you have Dave Picton, who yeah. already told her she needed to leave after beating her within an inch of her life. Right. Then you have Willie Picton, who just showed her what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and this is Willie, who's not somebody who was looked at like this by her. Right? No. And Obviously he was she was concerned, but you know, well, and he didn't even downplay the shit. He was just like actively slicing and dicing, just not give a fuck. He just couldn't have cared less, and it was yeah. just despicable. When you really think about it, it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my horrible. God, it's fucking awful. Now, the next day, okay, literally the next day, Georgia mm-hmm. Papin vanished. Her story was a little different than the others, as she had seen several people who could piece it together. One was Maggie and Giselle. Well, I, I don't know if Guile, Gizzle, Gizzle, I don't know. I don't want to say mm-hmm. it wrong. I think it's Giselle. Gizzle sounds awful. Um, who earlier saw her at a baby shower. The next was Sharon Baptiste, who agreed to meet her and her sugar daddy at the infamous Astoria. The biggest and most damning statement was from our good pal, Scott Chubb. Chubb was with his wife and son when they saw a familiar vehicle pull into the money mart. This vehicle belonged to none other than, well, Willie Pickton. Willie got out of his truck. He noticed Chubb. The two exchanged a hello. And Chubb noticed a woman in the passenger seat. He was convinced and is still convinced to this day that mm-hmm. that woman is Georgia Papin. Mm-hmm. So... He literally saw Willie right before he was about to go do it again. Right. For shizzle, my jizzle. God damn it. Yep. Yeah, I knew I knew you guys were gonna go somewhere with that. Now, again, the police were still floundering at the thought of a serial killer, convinced mm-hmm. no such thing would even be possible. Yep. It was now March of nineteen ninety nine. And what is that? Fifty three women had now gone missing since nineteen seventy one. Right. And their statement was still, there's no evidence to suggest a serial killer is prowling on these missing people. Just, Again. Do you think Do you think people were like back then just like listening to that shit constantly and being like, are you fucking serious? Yeah, I, I mean. It's like the same shit that we go through now. Like we see something on the news like, are, are, you, are you for real? Are you fucking serious? Are you well, it's really? That's like, the idea, like no body, no crime. It's right. literally how they saw it. Well, that's just, oh God. No body. No crime. Don't worry. Nobody's getting proud on. These women are just either overdosing or they're disappearing and no one's ever seen them again, but we don't care. We're the VPD. Right. <clears throat> even with an entire project based solely around finding these women, the cops refused to even think of such a thing. Rosmo, on the other hand, did not. But unfortunately, as was the thinking of the VPD, Rosmo had very little voice in this. However, this did not sway Rosmo in one direction or the other. Lori Shainer, who was on Project Amelia, contacted Rosmo about Picton in 1999. Seeing his violent past with the attempted murder case and his name on the wished bad date list, she thought maybe he'd be a suspect. Maybe. Rosmo recommended they surveil Picton. So, Shainer got the RCMP, or the RMCP, is it RCMP? Whatever, fucking who cares. Yeah, something Uh, like that. the, The Canadian FBI. The Mounties E. <laughs> um, the Mounties. The Mounties. Um, to surveil Picton. Mm-hmm. Now, once they started surveilling Picton, they would follow him in unmarked cars. Picton, however, as uh, Lisa Yelds has said in the past, was incredibly paranoid. Wonder why? Maybe because he's already murdered about. Maybe because he slaughters people and turns them into human food? Mm hmm. Yep. So. Makes somebody paranoid. Picton caught on to that he was being tailed almost right away. I mean, like, pretty much immediately. Yeah. Now, the surveillance ended in about two weeks. 
when they realized Picton wasn't doing anything particularly criminal uh, whilst it was happening. <laughs> two weeks, though? I mean, really? You're going to do two weeks? That's, That's it. it. And he, like, noticed them. Uh, yeah. uh, like, he, he was very clearly on to them. So, like, right. he knew. They couldn't have just left and come back at a different time. You know what I mean? Like, he knew who was there. Yeah. So, like, why be so obvious about it? Yeah. Well, because result, it wasn't... There was no priority behind it. So like, why were they, why would they try to hide? That's true. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, as a result, they couldn't acquire a search warrant even for the farm. Now, in 1999, Picton only killed four women. Now, I know this sounds like a pretty horrible statement, but it's a stark difference between 1997 to 1999. In 1997, he killed 13 women. Yeah. Okay. 13 women. Now in 1999, he only killed four and that was only four. Just he four. was watched by the police. Yeah. Only four. What a, what an improvement, right? Honestly, amazing. He got away with four, but it doesn't seem like they were actually <laughs> watching very got away with 49. Right. Like at that point, like he was just kind of biding his time. <sighs> now, while the VPD was putzing around and failing to get even the slightest hint of a serial killer. Mm-hmm. America's most wanted. Okay. America's most wanted. This country's most wanted. USA. Ran a story on the missing women mm-hmm. of Vancouver's downtown east side. It got so bad from the victims' families talking to the VPD and being completely declined, denied, that they reached out instead to America's most wanted. Yeah. Okay. America's Most Wanted cared more than the Vancouver Police Department ever did. And they ran an episode asking if a modern-day Jack the Ripper was at large. Because that is what Jack the Ripper did, too. He killed nothing but um, sex workers. Right. (sighs) They offered a $100,000 reward for information on the missing women. The VPD got incredibly upset at this, likely because it showed how little they were actually doing. (laughs) <laughs> right like if you're gonna get called out because you're not doing your job of course you're gonna get pissed yeah they got really pissy they even reached out to America's Most Wanted producers and said like you gotta change a couple of things and mm-hmm. America's Most Wanted did, a, did oblige now Lori Shaner was at this point very much of the belief that a serial killer was at large the problem had become so bad that the police had started attaining hair fingerprints and DNA samples from all of the women in the downtown east side Just in case they were to go missing or their bodies were found. We're not going to investigate, but we're going to be proactive about this. Uh, This is technically worse than Jack the Ripper. Like body count. Yeah, this is worse than Jack the Ripper. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Fire Nation Panda, eat your heart out, Sweeney Todd. I'm going to give you a little backstory. Yes, he did grind up these women and put them in the brown beef that he distributed all over the city. Yeah. So there you go. That's the people meet that you came in on. Yep. Now. Again, this is going horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to get DNA from people who weren't even gone, weren't even missing. They just wanted to have it just in case because they knew that more would go missing. Mm-hmm. The police had now heard rumors of a woman who'd seen Picton in action. Literally, her story had gotten around to the point of where the police had heard about it. And that's Lynn Ellingson as we know her. They reached out to her on August 8th, 1999. Belin's story remained the same. She was absolutely horrified of the Picton brothers. So she told them she'd seen and heard nothing, even went as far as to say the rumors were not true. She also made Willie pay for her silence, though. Sandra Humney, who was Willie's bookkeeper, was writing her checks every month, never asking what for, just sending them one after the other. Now, a little backstory, and I guess a little reprieve for the Project Amelia team. Mm-hmm. is the police had nine, the team had nine members, okay? But several only worked part-time. And even worse, most of them were working two, three jobs even at a time. So in essence, it's not fair to say they didn't try, but more so that they couldn't. They were understaffed. <laughs> they were understaffed. They were under, um, Which is a paid, huge problem. Funded. Right, it's a huge problem, but like nothing... Yeah, and it doesn't negate the fact that this was ignored for the longest time. Exactly. 
And yeah. th- that's really what it is, right? I mean, like the VPD old boys club, the people at the top yeah. are still the problem here. And, and and again, it's not fair to say Project Amelia didn't try because they were trying. They were reaching out. You know, they had at this point taken several, several. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I let my message cannot use Channel Poister. <laughs> that's fucking funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, they've reached, they'd talked to several of these women. They were working several cases at a time because they kept going missing right under their noses. And again, I mean, it's not to say that they were completely without blame because they also still didn't necessarily listen to all of the stories or follow up on leads, but that was because they just simply couldn't. Right. Now, the information from her given to the police wasn't enough to spend any more time on him, according to Project Amelia. November 27th, 1999, Wendy Crawford disappears. A month later, Jennifer Firminger disappears. December 27th, 1999. And Willie was aware at the, that at the least he was a person of interest to the police. He was even more aware that Lynn was easily the biggest threat to his security. Mm-hmm. He'd been paying her off for months at this point. And he spoke to Scott Chubb about a job. Again, same Chubb. Okay. Old Chubb. Chubb's a fixture at the farm at this point. He informed Chubb that he'd paid Ellingson about $10,000 so far for her silence. The job was I feel like that's not enough. <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't think that's enough. I'm sorry. I mean, for her to be afraid of him and still be getting paid by him, I mean, she's you know, good for yeah, her, I guess. But I don't know. I would have milked it. Yeah, I would have told the police. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> just throwing it out there. I mean, she didn't. And she did live on the farm still at this point too. So I guess that's, it's that's like true. That's very true. Her, her. I don't know. Her silence was partially for shelter and money, mm-hmm. but also from fear. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you know, tell the police. Just saying. You, do the right thing. Tell the cops that you've literally seen a woman well, get butchered fa- in front of you. Well, and it falls back to the whole, like, you don't trust the cops because they don't do their job. So, like, why would you tell the cops, you know? That's true. It's sad, but it's, true. It's, it's sad, a really, true. Yeah, it's um, a really but. disgusting circle of just complete and utter failures that let this go on as long as it did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really, again, I mean, it just only gets worse from here. Yeah. Like, I can't get into enough how much of a failure the police were in this case. It is absurd. Now, um, the job that Willie wanted to talk to Chubb about was, quote, taking care of Ellingson, of Lynn Ellingson. He told Chubb that a good way to do it would be injecting her with antifreeze or window washer fluid. Yeah, just nonchalant. Maybe you could do this. That works. Yeah, he said he great. knew someone who did that. That someone was him, by the way. Yeah, and it killed them within just ten or so minutes. And at that, even if the RCMP were to find the bodies, it just looked like a drug overdose to them. Mm-hmm. While Chubb was in need of money and the pay was a thousand dollars, he refused to do so because, plain and simply, he wasn't a killer. Chubb also knew of Willie's growing gun collection. Even borrowed a few pistols on occasion, or a pistol on a few occasions. Now this is important, but we'll get more into that in next episode. Mm-hmm. She probably thought, at least I know where this guy is. You know, absolutely. I mean, you know, she's mortally terrified of him. Keep your enemies she's, close. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure she slept with one eye open. <laughs> Antifreeze can do that. No shit. Yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. want to inject yourself or anybody Not else something you genuinely want to consume or put in your body. No, it's really not. I'm just going to throw it out there. It's probably something you shouldn't do yeah. to anyone ever. And he had done that several times at this point. Yeah. I mean, that was one of his methods. There was strangulation and then there was that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why he would even do that. He's oh, well, if they find the body, the drug overdose. Like you're literally butchering these people. Yeah. So, like, what does that matter? Like, oh, if they find the arm you injected in, like, what? And then that's not even possible because he would grind them up and, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not good. Now, it's not good. Here's another story from our, our, I don't even know, villain, <laughs> Willie Picton. 
And he's that real honest to God boogeyman, like straight out of a horror movie. Now, let's skip forward to 2001. Picton picked up Katrina Murphy, who needed a ride. Now, obviously, she was disgusted at the state of the van she was picked up in, because he did. He picked her up in a van. But, I mean, the guy offered her a ride to Surrey on his way back to Port Coquitlam. This kind stranger was Willie. He ghoulishly smiled at her and said, Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Hey. Hey. Uh, and then, after a little while, said, My name's Willie. She asked him what he did. He said he laid carpet. She noticed the back of the van was covered. There was a, uh, a cardboard box, essentially, covering the back, so you couldn't see anything. Right. Don't even know it was back there. Now, um, they made small talk for a moment and he offered her a joint. She lit it up and she started to smoke it. She offered him a toke, but he declined. Willie doesn't smoke or right. drink. He, he doesn't do drugs. He, he doesn't do anything. He for doing drugs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She smoked it all to herself. They came up to her exit off the Trans-Canada Freeway, but he kept going. At this point, she was concerned for obvious reasons. She told him, try anything and I will fucking kill you. Now, at this point, she was looking through her bag for something to use as a weapon as well. I, yeah. I should have said that prop like before. Yeah. <clears throat> now, his response was nothing short of terrifying. He just ghoulishly laughed. <laughs> he exited at the next exit, which would allow him to get to Porco Quitlam, um, by, uh, bleh, which would allow him to bypass Porco Quitlam's congested roads. Mm-hmm. Willie, who was at this point nervous of his doings, hesitated. He pulled into a cul-de-sac in the industrial district. He had to turn around. When he turned around, however, Murphy grabbed a pencil she had in her purse, stabbed it into his neck, snapping the tip off in his skin. She then gouged his eye with her left hand and threw her across his lap, threw herself across his lap and opened the door. She fell to the ground, smashing her face. But none of this even phased her. She just jumped up and started running, expecting to be tackled at any moment. But instead, she was just met with this jolly laughter. (laughs) He was just standing there by the van, merrily laughing. She -hmm. ran to the gas station where the police were called and Willie drove off into the night. A Mountie went on scene took her report. He said he was going to go after him. It's still unknown if he ever did. Ooh, but like, can you imagine, dude? Like, can you imagine being in the van with this fucking guy? And no, like, no. He's just, just no. literally getting ready to murder you. Huh, and, and this fucking... is just a woman at this point. I mean, yeah, she right. was a sex worker, but he picked her up to give her a ride. It wasn't even like an agreed upon thing. No, like there it was, was like, nothing... She wasn't going to go back to the farm with him. She wasn't agreeing to go anywhere with him, really. She was agreeing to a ride. Right. She was agreeing to a ride. And, uh, I mean, good for her for noticing the red flags. Seriously. Jesus. Shit, man. Now let's rewind. Tiffany Drew was the first woman who went missing in the year 2000. She was last seen at Wish, which is the woman's information safe house that we talked about Three episodes? Two episodes ago, maybe? Something it was like two that, episodes yeah. ago. Yeah. <clears throat> um, where Willie's new Gina Houston, because remember, Gina Houston was the woman who went around finding women for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dina Taylor was prowling for women. Now, Constable Dave Dixon claimed Drew was in a rehab clinic and refused to report her missing. The VPD and the RCMP saw this, however, as the killer retiring. He was done. Oh my God, 1999. He was, that was the last of it. He was done. We won't have to worry about him anymore. He's gone. He's he's just gone. Let's not look for him anymore at this point. That's really how it was seen. Uh, Hold on a second. Now, only a few women had gone missing. And that was Mm. kind of par for the course in the low track after all. But that all changed. Later in the year, abruptly, three more women went missing. Dawn Cray, Deborah Jones, and Sharon Abraham. 
Later on, in February of 2001, Patricia Rose Johnson goes missing. This sent Don Adam, a member of Project Evenhanded, which was the follow-up project to Project Amelia that was brought on by uh, Kim Rosmo, um, because Project Amelia failed in every way, basically, um, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But Evenhanded was kind of started as a follow-up, so it's so it's good, you know. Um, but yeah, 1999, they believed he would retire. Literally, that's what the VPD said. Good year for a murder to retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, again, this sent Don Adam um, to take on three more members to his team. Mm-hmm. There's a belief of the VPD that the disappearance has ceased in about 1999. But from March to April of 2001, three more women were reported missing. So, yeah. Three women in one month, and every one of these women went missing because of who else but Willie Picton. So this Mr. is what Picton. Uh-huh. This is what um you could call like Willie's berserker mode. Right. He just went crazy. Yeah. He just he went nuts and he just decided like this was the time. He obviously hadn't done it in a while. Willie clearly does these things kind of for a sexual release like release. And that was, I mean, he's just despicable, but he decided he was going to do it. You know, he, he was, uh, watched by the police. They didn't think of anything. He knew he wasn't being watched any longer. So he just went for it. Mm -hmm. Now, Picton was a prime suspect, but they still believed he was a non-starter for the missing women, which to me makes no sense. A prime suspect, meaning like he, was somebody who was known to have a violent past with sex workers in the area uh, because of Sandra Gale Ringwald. And women literally were reported like, okay, this guy's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they still did not believe that he was responsible for the missing women because of the surveillance being a failure right? Uh, and not being able to attain the search warrant. Now, roughly March 16th through the 21st, uh, Yvonne Marie Bowen goes missing. Two weeks later, April 1st, Heather Chinock goes missing. Fast forward to April 17th, Heather Bottomley goes missing. This is four women in four months. Yeah. Which was a stark difference from the four for the entire year, 2000. Well, it's because he had that little break. He had to like. He had to like really kick it into high gear. Had to go, go ham. And again, Willie was in Berserker, Rampage mode, whatever you want to call it. Project Even Handed was baffled by the disappearances, Mm -hmm. all of which happened right under their noses. And finally, in the summer of 2001, the police started to search for an actual killer. Not officially, though, because the VPD just wouldn't allow it. They were basically only allowed to go over files of people who could possibly maybe be it and try to build a case. Yeah, literally. June 5th, Angela Josbury disappeared. She was last seen in where other than Port Coquitlam. And I don't know how many other serial killers lived in Port Coquitlam, but I'm going to say not many. Just throwing it out there. Now, the final three women in our story were Serena Abbotsboy, last seen August 1st, 2001. Diane Rock, October 19th, 2001, and Mona Wilson, November 23rd, 2001. All of them died. All of them at the hands of Willie Picton. Hmm. We'll be going over their stories, the capture of Willie Picton, the search of his farm, and the sham of a trial next week for our finale of Willie Picton, the Pig Farm Killer. How do you feel? So horrible, man. <laughs> I just, it's, especially when I was reading over the notes and everything, just like the whole story of him forcing her to just watch as he oh. slaughtered that other woman. I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, Seriously. He, he was all sorts of fucked up, but that's just a whole nother level of fucked up. Yeah, no, it really is. It truly is. I mean, like. How are you going to do that? Especially to somebody who's like living with you and like, you're supposed to be like supposedly good to this. That was the thing. It was, it was a bragging, it was a bragging tool for him. He bragged about what he did. Well, yeah, he did. He bragged to Bellwood. Yeah. And then Bellwood promptly beat. 
yeah, it was it was it was show and tell for him, and like it, it's just ugh. Mm-hmm. how it you truly. can be so evil and so disturbed is just beyond me. Oh man, and the search of the farm is awful. Like yeah. when they finally get to search this farm, they got way more than they bargained for. Right. I mean, like, good lord. Just and again, gnarliness. Those that will all be gone over next week for the finale mm-hmm. to this Jake losing his mind, melting, researching this goddamn piece of shit. I'm so ready to be done with him. <laughs> oh my God. So, <laughs> oh man. But that's, uh, that's part four. So there mm-hmm. we go, folks. Now, you know what Billy Picton did with the bodies. Um, and oh, I'll give you a little spoiler. He did bury part of the remains on the farm. It's important to know for next week. He yeah. Did do that. Mm. kept several he kept, of them. he kept some souvenirs because i mean if you'll remember the jane doe yeah the person who was never found her skull just showed up yeah in a ditch right down the road mm-hmm. from the picton farm and uh yeah like i said serena abbotsway mona wilson and uh angela Josbury were like the actual first mm-hmm. bodies that were discovered right not even bodies but like you know Mm-hmm. their remains. remnants were found yeah. uh, remains the yeah 100% but folks thank you so much for listening tonight to another episode of Morbid Message Monday don't forget to follow us on all the things on the socials or tech mess on all those things you know there's a link tree or whatever do all that um, make sure you follow the YouTube channel it's Morbid Message Monday on YouTube also follow tech mess, tech mess or youtube.com slash tech mess uh, for all of our gaming content and all that good stuff um oh my god what else there's other stuff too they're all links everything's everything's linked if you're watching on youtube don't forget to like and subscribe if you watch live thank you so much we appreciate you oh so very much and you can always catch us live at twitch.tv slash tech underscore mess every monday wednesday thursday if you want to hear the podcast live tune in on mondays (laughs) but i hope you have a great day night evening whatever happens to be that you're having folks and well goodbye